Well, welcome. Really glad you're here. If you're visiting, we're in a series called Rhythms of Grace, where we're one by one kind of going through the elements of our, of our service. I think it's important to know why we're, why we're doing all these things, right? We're not just going through the motions. So every Sunday we come, as we did, and we confess, happy are those whose sins are forgiven. And then we receive the assurance of God's pardon. It does not come from a special, warm, and fuzzy place from within you. It is not welled up and beaten into submission as you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and attempt to summon sufficient strength to feel it. No, the pardon of God is proclaimed over you. This is who you now are because of Christ. And so we confess. And so we need to confess. We need confession and assurance. I sure do. I really do. And as I was preparing this week, I thought, hey, it's Groundhog's Day. There's got to be a sermon illustration in there somewhere. Help me out, Bill Murray. Like, no, 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 it's Palindrome Sunday, right? It happens once in a millennium that this date is the same backwards and forwards. And surely, I thought, I mean, you're a pastor for crying out loud. You can come up with some kind of Super Bowl joke. Go Chiefs. That may all be true, but I was convicted by God's Spirit as I studied these things as I always am. And the question was, well, what about you? Do you have anything to confess? You could tell jokes or you can lead. And actually, it's, it's easy to lead because I am not the Christ and neither are you. <laughs> We're all in the same boat with John the Baptist. We are all sheep under our great shepherd. No man, no woman gets put on a pedestal around here except for Christ and him alone. So I get to stand before you now, and I get to confess, not to assuage my conscience, not for some sort of weird public catharsis, but because this is what God has called us to do, and he's called pastors and elders and leaders to lead by being low at the cross. So I confess to you that there are plenty of times in life where I struggle with pride. I know it's hard to believe. I'm very special. In fact, so many of my struggles at their root are pride. You know, fear of man, worrying far too much about what other people think of me. But that's because really I want to please them because surely I would be pleasing to them because I'm enough and therefore not trusting in Christ to be my enough. It's pride. I confess to you that at times I can be overly critical. If you'd like any examples, you can ask my wife and children when they're back from Albuquerque next week. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, but I'm convicted by this. I mean, really convicted, because sometimes I'll come home, I've, you know, I feel all this stress because I've got to feel stress. Because in America, if you're working really hard, and you're working extra hours, and you're being efficient, and you're doing the right thing, you should feel stress, right? That, that's success. The more stress you feel, you know, I don't take all my vacation days. You don't either, do you, Bob? I mean, really. And I can walk into my house with so little gratitude, with so little prayerfulness, and rather than notice the beauty of my kids playing and literally creating worlds, I mean, they're closer to God than anyone, 
just creating worlds out of the chaos around them. And, and, you know, my wife being there to give me a hug, I can come in with a critical eye. You know, dust buster in one hand, list of rules in the other. It does not go well. I can be full of anxiety, worrying. I know the scriptures, same as you. If you worry, you're not going to add a single hour to your life. Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. Don't do it. It's not good. And yet I, I worry about all kinds of things. I refuse so often to rest in the sovereignty and the power and the goodness of God, even though he has proven it to me time and time again in his faithfulness. I struggle with self-care. I have been in a gym before. I have exercised before, and yet I do struggle sometimes to get enough sleep, to eat the proper foods, to get a little bit of exercise. And then there's, there's sometimes the creeping fear of failure. You know, I just don't want to fail. You can't fail. You're not allowed to fail. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail as a husband, as a father, I don't want to fail in my call as a, as a pastor. And yet I'm confessing to you that at times I'm greatly tempted with fear in those areas. Perhaps it's not unfounded this last week, just this last week, two very close friends of mine, pastor friends, church planters, which is like saying church entrepreneurs, they started new churches, have both taken a, a, a sabbatical, a step down, from their ministry and their pulpit. Both of them had basically nervous breakdowns. I don't really know what else to call it. I'm, I'm sure they'll get a, a proper diagnosis and the correct nomenclature to go along with that, but it scares me to death. And so as we confess corporately, corporally as a body, publicly for the glory of God, so that we can be fully known and fully loved, and as we do it out in Santa Fe, because that's what our city needs. People who have great need with a great Savior to meet that need. I ask you the question, will you join me? Will you join me? Life is so short, you guys. It's, I mean, I know because I'm old. It's short. It's too short to play church. We need to avoid two extremes. The one is the person who, you know, always has their heart on their sleeve. They're always telling everybody all of their problems. I'm not promoting that. But honestly, I don't really know if that's our issue here in this place for the most part. I think it's more the issue of, you know, my arms are crossed and I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. And inside, I might be a boiling cauldron of wounds and brokenness and need. But you know what? I'm not going there and you're certainly not going to be able to peer over the edge. So will you join me? I think the scriptures teach us from the Old to the New Testament that it's worth the risk. And that's why every week we do this rhythm of grace, this divine jazz, call and response, this active and exercised choreography of confessing and receiving his assurance. Because we need to remember every week that we really are. It's, it's not a bait and switch. We really are loved by God. We really can come with, with everything laid out before the Lord. 
and carefully but courageously before each other. And we really are loved by God. So let us confess our need and be healed. That's the point. Confess your need and be healed. First, confess your need. The scriptures say that we can know the grace of God, the mercy of God, the person and the presence and the healing of God through confession. So what is it? I think it's especially important to define our terms here. What is confession? And it can be construed in a, in a narrow sense, but I'm going to take it broadly and save you from a 10-week series on all the different kinds of confession in the Bible. Maybe we'll do that in a Bible study, but I want to just take confession broadly. And so here's how I'm going to define confession this morning. It's our ongoing, normal practice of humbly at the cross, owning and admitting our need, our need. Be those needs, fears, wounds, baggage, sins, transgressions, our need. And asking for God's mercy to help and heal us. So why use the word need? I could use the word sin. And I'm not afraid of the word sin, even though it's 2020 and you're not allowed to say that word anymore. Half expect a TSA agent to come in here and, you know, escort me out of the room. But sin isn't a dirty word. It's, it simply means that we're, we're admitting honestly that, yeah, in our heart of hearts, apart from the grace of God, we're just like our first parents. We're just like Adam. And we believe the lie, did God really say? And, you know, kind of we want to be our own gods. And so we do break God's law in the things that we do and don't do, the things that we think and, and, and act in all sorts of ways. It doesn't mean God's up in the clouds wagging his finger at you. But I think need broadens the idea because the idea itself is broad in Scripture, confession and assurance. We need God. We need saving. We need to be honest and real about what's going on in our lives. We need to be set free. We need to be set free by the Holy Spirit of God, from the unbearable weight of the burden of our silence. You are not the Christ. We were never meant to carry this weight alone. So in that sense, confession is a gift. I want us to see it through the word that we read as a grace. It's not God inviting you in to say, all right, tell me everything. And then, oh, thanks for telling me, you're out. <laughs> thanks for telling me all that. That last thing went a little too far. And you're out. You know. No, it's a gift. It reminds us that God wants every part of us, every part of our lives, that we don't get to compartmentalize. God will not allow us to compartmentalize. To be Jesus people on Sunday and then whatever we want throughout the rest of the week. And it goes beyond that. He, he relieves the burden of having to be extra special and spiritual throughout the week. Just be who you are openly and honestly in Christ. The last thing that our friends and neighbors need is to see someone who's always acting under the pretense of their own religious perfection. You know what that smells like? Well, let's take a field trip to the dumpster behind Whole Foods. That's what that smells like. 
So confession is vertical. It's between us and the Lord. Ultimately, it is between us and the Lord. But because it is between us and the Lord and we're a part of the body, and Jesus is the head of the body, and Jesus wants a a healthy body. He wants a body where the white blood cells are attacking viruses and the muscles are being exercised. It's also an issue of the vertical, excuse me, the horizontal plane. It's vertical between us and God, and it's horizontal as we love one another through confession, as we move toward each other in reconciliation. And ultimately, this thing of confession and assurance is about the glory of God. I want to be very clear that there is only one mediator between man and God, and that is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so the only person we are ultimately responsible to confess to and to receive assurance from, which frees us from having to fear people and worry what they think about us, is God Himself. It may be good to confess our sins to one another, but it is not the necessary thing. It may be good to confess all of your sins to God, and then you would have no time to eat or sleep. That's not the necessary thing. It may be good to come and talk to your pastor or your friend, but it's not the necessary thing. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Because it's only God, and don't we know this? It's only God who can do the work of Psalm 86, where David prays, Lord, would you untie my heart? Would you untie my heart so that I might be truly known to you and to myself and I might stand firm in your grace and in the good news that you know me, see me, and you love me and you're changing me in that love? Psalm 86 says, untie our hearts that we might reverence or fear or love your name. So the thief on the cross He didn't have time to get down and go make confession to every single person he'd ever wronged. He didn't have time. And indeed, he didn't have all the knowledge that that we have because we have the scriptures. But because his confession was to the Son of God, it was enough. So why would we do this? Why take this risk? Why be vulnerable? And it is an ask of vulnerability. It is an ask of vulnerability, and it is challenging. Why do it? Because in confession and assurance, there is freedom. I mean, isn't it freeing to know that as we confess and God proclaims his assurance over us, man, nothing can assault me, nothing can attack me, no weapon formed against me will prosper. No accusation in my mind. No getting beat up in the world. I am the Lord's. I am loved. I am free. Look, we we don't don't need the help of the evil one to sin. We can do that just fine on our own. We can do it just fine on our own. Where the evil one comes in, where the lies come in, is with accusation. And so sin's power is the power of condemnation. Oh, you screwed up. Yeah, yeah. You didn't need any help with that. But now that you screwed up, can you really be loved by God? Hmm. Can you really be reconciled? Can you really be helped? 
Yeah, you better go to church and just shut your mouth. Put on your press shirt, put on your pressed life, put on your pressed mask, smile and nod. The power of sin is condemnation. When we sin, our conscience is seared, and into a seared conscience, the enemy comes to condemn and accuse, and the result is what? We feel shame. And then we begin to believe that shame is what is most true about us. To that, the Lord Jesus Christ says no. That's why when we have a word of assurance spoken over us that we respond to every Sunday, it's not a half-hearted assurance. It's not a conditional assurance. It's not if you're having a good week and you sort of feel extra justified this week kind of assurance. It's full assurance. I want you to hear a few quotes. First one from a former professor of mine, Scott Clark. He says, the law... The law, of which we are all breakers, says this, do and you shall live. Luke 10, 28. But grace speaks a different word. Christ has fulfilled the law for you as your substitute. So believe and be saved. Could anything in the universe be more juxtaposed? Do. Better. Do better and you will live. No, no, no. It is done. It is finished. Believe and be saved. This from the great patriarchate of the East Coast, Timothy Keller. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. This last Sunday, we had a celebration of life for John Dietrich here. John's wife, Nan, and the family were here. We were thinking about John's life and God's faithfulness to him as a wonderful but imperfect man. We came across this quote again. It's attributed to many. This is my Paraphrase, simply this, we have more need, we have more need than we know. We have more need than we dare to know. It's scary to untie the heart. We have more need than we know, but we are more loved in Christ than we dare to imagine. And that is why, friends, we confess, happy are those whose sins are forgiven. It doesn't get any happier than this. This is the why of doing our confession and assurance weekly as a rhythm of the grace of God. Because every week we need to confess and preach the gospel to ourselves. There's plenty in the world to beat us up. There's plenty in our own minds already beating us up. Some of you here have a PhD in negative internal dialogue. And I'm right there with you. Like you allow stuff to be said to yourself in your own mind that you would not dare to say to another person. But it's cool if you say it to yourself. And there's no way you can compete. Because I still don't look like the guy in the ad. Even after all the delicious New Mexican food I've eaten. 
I still can't wake up in the morning and stand in front of the mirror with my, my airbrush and and that was like teenage stuff. Now I want to airbrush like my bank account and my mortgage and, you know, all kinds of things. Can't do it. So confession means we never get over it. We never get over hearing and preaching and believing the gospel for ourselves. We never get over the need to enter into this rhythm of rehearing and rebelieving the things that God says about us because we are found hidden in the finished work of His Son. So who is confession for then? It's for all of us. Newsflash. We already know. We already know about you. We already know you're needy. You already know that about us. When we confess, we kill our inherent meritorious inclination toward hypocrisy. And oh, how the church struggles with this. We are so afraid to be free in the Holy Spirit. We already know. We already know that we're broken. We already know that we're needy. We already know that we're messed up. And for those who don't think they already know that, confess your pride. I love what Matt Chandler says. He's a pastor in the great country of Dallas, Texas. Chandler said to his church, he said, you know, when Lauren and I first got married, I have a pastor, pastor's wife, we had, to, we had to go to counseling. And at first we're like, oh, I don't know if we should tell anyone, but that's ridiculous, he said. We all have lions. The devil prowls like a roaring lion to accuse you. We all have lions. He said, why, why don't we stop, stop hiding our lions? Why don't we all bring our lions out together and help each other, give them all a good beating so they're rendered incapacitated to destroy us? So the problem in the church is we got a lot of people looking around going, I don't have a lion. But Chandler says this, if you think you don't have a lion, guess what? You're already in its mouth. So newsflash, we already know. We already know. So like David in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 we cannot let our bones waste away. When we internalize these things, when we are silent, when you're just trying to be tough enough, man, it, there are physiological effects to that. And a couple of the doctors in this room are happy to provide you some literature if you'd like to, to see the physiological effects of stress and internalizing. It's a real thing. We are not meant to bear it. And that's why Proverbs, do you notice we read that proverb? Whoever conceals... His transgressions will not prosper, but he who forsakes will obtain mercy. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So who confesses all of us and how do we confess regularly? It's wise for us to confess. It's a normal part of the Christian life. 1 John 1.9, John is writing to a small church plant, probably in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. And they're, you know, 40 years away from the death of Jesus, and they are having some issues. Because there's people in the church who are, who are saying, you know what, we don't have any sin. 1 John 1, 7 and 8. And so John says, look, if you say you have no sin, whoa, you don't know the Son of God. He's speaking to Christians here. He says, look, if you're a Christian, then as you confess your sins, God will continue to be faithful and just. This is the normal Christian life. Confess, repent, receive, repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. 
Confess, receive, repeat. I missed one. Confess, repent, receive, repeat. Lord, we need you. My child, I already know. I already know. Lord, I'm scared. I don't really want to tell you everything. I don't even want to tell myself everything. In the, in the millisecond of your confession, Jesus is already gathering his children. I already know. Receive my grace. Receive and repeat. I love Revelation 3.5. Why did we read anything out of the book of Revelation? Well, I'm about to tell you. I will confess his name before my father. Jesus will confess. He will confess. There's no doubt about that. Will he confess his own sins? No. He doesn't have any sins. Ooh, but will he confess your sins? No. He has already borne your sins once and for all on the cross and put death itself to death. What will Jesus confess? Your name before the Father. Jesus will confess your name because he stands in your place. So confess your need and be healed. I want to make two quick applications. The first is that we are to confess corporately. This is part of our healing. Confess and be healed. We are literally healed as we one another together act upon this command and promise to be honest and show up with who we really are before the cross together. In Acts chapter 19, we get this weird little verse. Again, y'all need to, I expect you to think this is weird. Why is he bringing up Acts 19? Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Go back and read the book of Acts, Bereans. Fact checked me. Make sure I'm not just making this up. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, says the psalmist. And repeatedly in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit of God shows up through the Holy Word of God, do you know what happens? People come running to confess. Because they have been under the Greco-Roman burden of glory, and you got to be smart and good and win. They've been under the religious burden of, you know, your works better be good enough for God. And now they are free. And church, whenever the Holy Spirit moves, people begin confessing. In 2020, I want to know the power of God with you. Don't you want to experience the power of God in this place? So we actually have something to bring out to our city? I mean, we could do a lot of good in this city. We could do a lot of social justice in this city, and we should. But the one unique thing we have to bring to this city of Santa Fe is the grace of and the hope of a God whose spirit shows up to make us powerful in our weakness through confession. You see, Satan can't meddle in a place where his wings have been clipped. And the quickest way to clip the wings of the devil, the evil one, the Satan, the accuser, the shamer, the finger wagger, is to say, you got nothing on me. I'm already known. What are you going to say about me that God does not already know and people close to me do not already know and are helping me with and walking with me in? So I want to charge us as a church. Application. I want to see more of this. 
want to see more of this. I want to see more asking for help. More marriage counseling. More we can't do it on our own. More we need discipleship. More men's groups. More women's groups. More honesty. More getting into God's word. More confessing parents to and with and in front of our kids. Oh, does that bring you low? Does that bring you low where you should be at the cross? Not with your stiff neck, puffed out chest. No. You know, kids do things they shouldn't do. They need loving, discipleship, and discipline. They need consequences couched in mercy. But parents do things they shouldn't do too. And how many of us in this room that are parents, when is the last time you went to your child or your grandchild, let's get really scandalous, and said, will you forgive me? I sinned against you. I said something I shouldn't have said. I was angry. I was impatient. Will you please, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven me, will you forgive me? Do you see how that turns power up on its head? Do you see how that shines forth the upside down kingdom? Look, I love sports and I love soccer and I love music and I love all the bajillion things we have our kids in. Look, we are so busy, it's, your head will spin. But parents, soccer ain't gonna save your kid. Music lessons is not gonna save your kid. The way that our children are going to see that Jesus is real is when we as parents get on our knees and confess to the Lord and to them. Application two. We need to be those who are confessing in the world. We're meant to burn, as it were, with the glory of God in confession and assurance in public. We are meant to do the work of John the Baptist. As all his disciples were like, are you the Christ? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and in public. and everybody, Are you the guy? I am not the Christ. I am a man. I am a woman. I cannot even begin to save myself. This is what our friends and neighbors need. Go ask them. Do they need more religion? Do they need a couple more chapters added to the rule book? Or do they just need to see how perfect and manicured your little family is? Yeah, right. Maybe you are, but crazy Uncle Larry could show up at any time. Is that what they need? Oh, look how religious those people are. They're just perfect. No. Our friends and neighbors who we love, they have the same struggles we do. They struggle with their bank accounts and their mortgages and their marriages and their children and their grandchildren. They struggle with their relationships. They struggle with their purpose in life at every age and stage. They struggle with what am I going to do in my retirement? They struggle with the same things we do. All we have to offer is, you know what? I struggle with those things too, but I have hope. in a God whose assurance doesn't come from within me, but is proclaimed over me and can never be taken away. So I want us to imagine a church where, yes, yes, we take sin seriously. We come to hear God's word, Lord, work on us, convict us, do surgery on our hearts. But you know what? We take people hiding and alone and in need, and no one knows we take that just as seriously. And we say, come, come from the darkness into the light. Come to the healing power and the assurance of Jesus. All you need is need. All you need is nothing.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have called us, your people, into this ongoing practice of humbly owning, courageously owning all of our needs, especially our transgressions. And thank you that before we even ask for your mercy, you are already gathering us to declare that you are the one who will confess our name to the Father. That's such good news for us that we can bring our lions together and put them to death as one. Even those of us who are stuck in the lion's mouth, Lord, you you will show up with the power of your Spirit. We need you to. Show up in the power of your spirit and help us to bear good fruit together and in this world. May we confess our need to you and be healed. Amen.